And here we go. It is a big, big news day, and you are listening to The Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5. KPL, we are going to jump right into it today. The show notes are live at kpel965.com, so you can follow along with the topics that we'll be going through today. The big news, obviously, uh, well, there's two big stories. Right now, we've got the gas tax holiday. We're going to get to that a little bit later, but right now, the gun control bill. The text was released last night. Uh, actually, we expected that to come uh, when I was, you know, Mark and I were here on offsides. Uh, we were expecting that bill to come out. We saw the, actually the preliminary text come out. Uh, the Senate held a preliminary vote to bring the bill to the full floor. 14 Republicans, including Louisiana's own Bill Cassidy, joined in to vote to bring that to the floor. So it passed with a 64-36 vote. Uh, we're expecting a vote at the end of this week or the beginning of next week to formally pass this gun control legislation and send it to the House. Now, right now, a bit of a development on that front as well. We know that uh, Kevin McCarthy has now come out against the gun control bill and Steve Scalise is uh, whipping votes against the bill. So we have action in the House already. Uh, Steve Scalise trying to pull Republicans together to fight against this bill. Now, the Republicans are in the minority in the House, and it's going to make it difficult for them to actually get across the line. The only thing that can save them is a lot of red state Democrats who are nervous about their reelection prospects. This actually does provide an opportunity for those for those Republicans to pull Democrats to their side of the aisle and get them to uh, push back against this gun control legislation. So what is in the bill? Uh, my buddy Stephen Gutowski, I'm going to try to have him on maybe next week because we're also expecting the Second Amendment court case. Uh, my uh, Stephen Gutowski at TheReload.com has a pretty good breakdown. He actually, uh, this is a new and fundamental change in the media, but Stephen did it. He actually read the bill before he offered commentary on it. That, that's what's key here. Uh, the package extends current prohibitions on gun sales to those who have disqualifying juvenile records and those convicted of misdemeanor violent crimes against dating partners. The bill also includes a new background check process for those 18 to 20 years old, funding for red flag laws or other state crisis intervention programs, the reclassification of who must obtain federal gun dealing licenses, and several other proposals. It represents the first expansion to the category of Americans who are prohibited from owning guns in decades, a longtime political priority of Democrats. However, it also represents an expansion of funding in mental health and school security initiatives, which Republicans have long favored as solutions to school shootings. The bill makes it illegal for anyone to knowingly sell guns or ammunition to anyone who has a juvenile record that includes a felony conviction, domestic violence misdemeanor conviction, or an involuntary commitment after the age of 16. Until now, those prohibitions have only applied to adult records. However, the law does not amend the prohibition on gun possession to include those with disqualifying juvenile records. So the focus is on those who are selling rather than those who own or possess. That seems pretty important. It also... Uh, would make it illegal to knowingly sell a gun or ammo to somebody of any age who has a disqualifying juvenile record, but not for them to attempt to buy or possess a gun. Now, the NRA is coming out and saying that they were pushing for a sunset on juvenile records, meaning your juvenile records would be in the system for a certain amount of time, but eventually 
would uh, be removed from the system. Right now, the legislation appears to be adding juvenile records uh, to the NICS, uh, which is the system that the FBI and, and law enforcement uses to uh, to kind of check on the, the qualifications for gun ownership. Uh, the specialized background check process is set to expire after 10 years. However, disqualifying juvenile records will remain uh, still in, in NICS at that point. It also, and this is one that Kirsten Cinema was pushing for, would also expand the definition of domestic violence to include dating relationships, long-term uh, uh, relationships between two partners. Uh, that is one actually, uh, actually, I'm I'm kind of okay with on that front. Uh, domestic violence uh, is a very serious topic, and we do need protections for the survivors of domestic abuse. And that includes those who are dating, not just those who are married. So that is actually not a terrible idea. Uh, but it is the juvenile, uh, it is the expansion of uh, restrictions on juveniles that is really getting a lot of the gun rights groups and, and a lot of Second Amendment advocates uh, getting them up in arms right now. The, um, the, big, the big expansion here is that there is now a multi-day Period. I mentioned some of the restrictions on juvenile for juvenile records and 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 those who are under eighteen, but they're also expanding the time that it would take if you're between the ages of eighteen and twenty one. Your juvenile records will go into the system if you have a juvenile record, and there's three days. There's now a three day wait if you want to buy a gun between the ages of eighteen and twenty. A three day wait. While the system scans your uh, your I'm sorry not uh, your juvenile records, if they're in the system, there's then up to ten more days, or up to no up to seven more days. So I think it's at most like ten days total that they could put you on. Uh, they could make you wait before you can actually get access to the guns. Now this is uh, more of a direct uh, result of the Rob Elementary shooting in Uvalde, Texas. Uh, the shooter uh, was able to pretty immediately get guns, get access to guns, uh, and go on a shooting spree. Nobody's still really aware how the shooter bought the guns and all the ammo, but this is kind of a direct result to how quickly even juveniles can get access to guns. And and those who are under 21 who would propose and, and inflict violence on schools. My biggest concern is still red flag laws. And the states can request in lieu of uh, framework text for red flag programs, they can request grant money for crisis intervention programs. So instead of the due process violations that red flag laws provide, states can request money for mental health courts, drug courts, veterans courts. Uh, you can also order, uh, you can also in this kind of red flag part of the package, uh, funding has to include due process rights that prevent any violation or infringement of the Constitution. So a lot of those due process concerns seem to be in there, but still the red flag system is one that is ripe for abuse and one that Republicans and conservatives should still be very, very wary of. Okay, we're going to go ahead and take a break. Actually, I want to, uh, so that was all information you can find on the reload.com. Stephen Katowski has that. Uh, a website called randoland.us has a breakdown of the bill, and I want to focus on the spending involved. So we're going to talk about that when we come back from the break. You're listening to The Joe Cunningham Show on News Talk 96.5 KPL. 
Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5, KPL 232-1542 if you want to call in. Uh, after the bottom of the hour news break, we'll, we'll start taking calls if you want to take part in the conversation. I, there's a website called Randoland, uh, randoland.us, and they have a breakdown of the bipartisan gun control bill, the Bipartisan Safer Communities Act, that was unveiled last night. Uh, voted on to move to the full floor for debate last night in a 64-36 vote. Senate Republicans who support the bill include Roy Blunt, Richard Burr, Shelley Moore Capito, Bill Cassidy, Susan Collins, John Cornyn, Joni Ernst, uh, Lindsey Graham, Mitch McConnell, Lisa Murkowski, Rob Portman, Mitt Romney, Tom Tillis, Todd Young, and Pat Toomey. Those are the Republicans who voted to allow this to move to the floor. Right now, it's speculated at least 10 of those would vote for the bill itself in a final vote, which would give the Democrats the necessary votes to overcome a filibuster. But here is the breakdown of spending that is provided for in the bill, according to Randolph. $40 million for the expansion of community mental health services demonstration programs. $58 million for Health and Human Services Department of Education guidance and technical assistance on delivery of Medicaid and CHIP aid in schools. $50 million in grants for expanding Medicaid and CHIP school-based services. $10 million for two years of reviewing state implementation of school Medicaid slash uh, early slash periodic screening, diagnostic, and treatment services, $1 million per year every year after 2024, $155 million for pediatric mental health care access grants. Um, let's see, more, here's uh, $100 million for the FBI's salaries and expenses related to the NICS. $1.4 billion for state and local law enforcement assistance, the Office of Justice Programs. Uh, broken down, this is $750 million will be for burn grants, as, uh, those that this bill authorizes for use in establishing red flag laws. $200 million, which shall be for the Bureau of Justice Assistant Grants for Stop School Violence Act of 2018 purposes. $200 uh, million of which will be used uh, for grants for states to upgrade criminal and mental health records, $250 million of that $1.4 billion, which will be uh, used for community, sir, uh, community violence intervention and prevention initiatives. It also calls for $100 million for community-oriented policing services programs, $800 million for the Department of Health and Human Services, uh, Services Health Surveillance and Program Support, uh, that is broken down into a few different categories, $250 million of which will be for Community Mental Health Service Block Grant Program, $40 million for the National Child Traumatic Stress Network, $240 million for the Project Aware Activities and Services, $120 million for Mental Health Awareness Training, $150 million for National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. Uh, we also have $190 million for Public Health and Social Services Emergency Fund broken down uh, as $60 million for primary care training and enhancement, $80 million for pediatric mental health care access, $50 million for delivering Medicaid services in schools. That's that $190 million broken down. 
uh, $1.05 billion for the Department of Education School Improvement Programs and $1 billion for the Department of Education Safe Schools Citizenship Education Programs. So $1 billion, uh, $1.05 billion, $1.4 billion. So $3 billion right there. Uh, another billion, another billion, $5 billion. Uh, $5 million more for the Bureau of Tobacco, Al- uh, Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives. Uh, let's see, 40, 50, 10, 155. So upwards of five billion, maybe five and a half billion dollars for this bill. Five and a half billion in new spending created by the Bipartisan Safer Communities Act. Very little of which goes toward the actual gun control aspect of the bill. This is kind of where we have our usual problems with these big bills. It is easy to break this up into multiple topics. You can put money into mental health spending. A lot of those things that I mentioned when I read off this list. You can make that a separate bill. The Mental Health and Violence Act of 2022, for example, and all that spending goes right there. And you can have the senators vote on the mental health spending. And you can create a separate bill, introduce it at the same time. The, uh, the Safer Communities Act which is all the spending and all the everything that's required for the actual gun control aspect of the bill. Most of that spending would be in the mental health bill, and most of that spending would get passed without any sort of controversy whatsoever. But Congress, being Congress, released a long bill that covers far too many topics, has spending across the board in all these topics, And a lot of the necessary things like mental health spending, like the things that we actually need, community programs, ways to keep our kids and keep our adults mentally healthy and safe. That all is tethered to the more questionable gun control stuff. Because 14 Republicans in the Senate want to be seen as doing something. These multi-topic bills, all they do, all these omnibus type bills that cover multiple subjects, multiple things all at once, all they do is create controversy. The entire bill can be struck down because a few people don't like what's in there. In this case, Republicans, a lot of them aren't really happy about the gun control aspects of the bill. Because of things like extending how long it takes for somebody older than 18, but not quite 21. The amount of time it adds to the wait in order to check their juvenile records. The fact that their juvenile records can be in the system. That's questionable. The spending for mental health, I as a conservative can get on board with. I've, I've talked to you guys for weeks now about how the biggest issue is the mental health issue. Before you can even think about more gun control, uh, more layers to gun control in America, you have to address the mental health issue. I'm fine with a lot of that spending. But you put that spending, you put those initiatives at risk when you tie it to more questionable gun control measures. 
And don't get me wrong, a lot of the stuff in the bill I'm actually okay with, even some of the gun control stuff. A lot of it I'm okay with. Am I thrilled about it? No. Is it as far as the Democrats could have gone? Oh, hell no. And that's the victory there. Both sides get to say they did something and both sides probably took the extremes out of each other's sails. But when you put something as important as increased awareness and spending for mental health initiatives in the country at a time when we have a deep and worsening mental health crisis, you tether that to something that is extremely controversial and not guaranteed to pass. You risk those necessary initiatives. Needlessly risk them. So that's the spending. If you want the links to the breakdown of the bill, what it does, and the spending in the bill, go to kpel965.com. Look for uh, the post-gun control and the gas tax holiday. That has those links among all the other topics that, uh, that I'll be going over today. Real quick, before we go to our bottom of the hour news break, just a quick note, and I'll go into this a little after the break. There's a new poll out from New Hampshire, and Donald Trump's not at the top of the Republican list. It's Ron DeSantis at 39%, Trump with 37%. That's pretty important as we get through these midterms and start heading into the 2024 presidential cycle. By far, the most popular Republicans potentially running in 2024, Ron DeSantis with 39% of that poll in New Hampshire, Donald Trump with 37%. Pay attention to that going forward. When we get back, Joe Biden's gas tax holiday and how it's really just him passing the buck. All that and more here on the Joe Cunningham Show, News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL. So it happened a little while ago. Joe Biden officially announced his plan to suspend the gas tax. Now, he can't do it himself. He's got to send it to Congress. He's got to ask Congress to do it. And there's a problem there. Congress does not seem all that eager to take it up. Both Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi have refused to say whether or not they endorse the gas sales tax holiday. Um, one of the Democrats on the Transportation Committee in the House uh said that this is going to create a $10 billion hole in the transportation budget. Biden explained that the federal suspension, if enacted, would pause an 18 cent per gallon tax on gasoline and a 24 cent per gallon tax on diesel, while those tax revenues are generally directed toward the Highway Trust Fund for upkeep of American roads. Biden claimed the tax could be suspended without harming the fund. The average price of a gallon of gas in the U.S. as of today is $4.96 a gallon. The average price hit $5 per gallon earlier this month. High fuel prices are accompanied by rising prices across all sectors of the economy. In May, the consumer price index rose by 8.6% year over year, the highest increase in four decades. Biden is passing the buck here. Here's what happens if you suspend the gas tax. There is no increasing supply because the Biden administration is still regulating oil and gas production out of existence. 
oil and gas companies will not invest in new production if they're going to be regulated to the point where it's not profitable to do so. So there's no new supply coming in, but what do cheaper prices do? Cheaper prices increase demand. Great. Prices are down 18 cents. Let's go get some gas. Let's go stock up on it right now. All of a sudden, you're causing the supply to actually dwindle. What happens when supply dwindles? The price goes back up again. So even if tomorrow the gas goes down 18 cents, everybody who's just waiting for the gas prices to drop suddenly realize now is probably the best time to go get gas. So they all go get gas. And the next day, gas has gone up by another five cents because the supply is dipping. On top of that, it will create budgetary problems for the highway trust that is overseen by the House Transportation Committee, which Democrats on that committee are already warning about. Further, it puts House Democrats in a very awkward position. If Joe Biden hands this issue off to Congress and they do nothing, Biden is hoping it will save his numbers. Okay, it's somebody else's fault. It's Congress's fault. It's the Republicans' fault. Who's in charge in Congress? Not the Republicans. The Democrats are in charge. The Democrats go on and refuse to vote for because Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer don't want this gas tax holiday. They refuse to vote for it. Well, then Democrats in Congress take a hit in the polls because they won't do something. If they vote for it and it ends up being a disaster as everybody is predicting it's going to be, then the Democrats have just helped create more of an energy disaster that we already have. If the Democrats put it up for a vote and Republicans kill it, Republicans don't really get that much of the blame. The Democrats are the ones in charge. If Democrats can't bring Republicans across the aisle on it, that's on them. The voters recognize that. Now, if it comes up before Congress, here's what Republicans should do. Republicans could say, you know what, we're absolutely with you on lowering the tax. We've been fighting for lower taxes for years. You, we'll, we'll, we'll vote for a gas tax holiday, but we need another tax holiday. We need to lower taxes elsewhere because taxes are too high and people don't have enough money to spend and the economy is at a standstill because people don't have enough money. There's a recession coming. People need more money in their wallets. So let's reduce whatever tax you want to say, whatever tax you want to say. It doesn't matter. You put more tax, uh, tax decreases in a bill with a federal gas tax holiday. And the Republicans come out and say, hey, you know what? We're with the Democrats. We want taxes to go down. We want you to have more money in your wallets. And the Democrats say no. Once again, the Democrats are the reason that a gas tax holiday doesn't pass. And it goes to them. There's nothing that the Democrats can do in this situation except lose. This is politically a dumb idea. It is policy-wise a dumb idea. But Joe Biden 
is not concerned with the actual politics or the actual policies involved here. Joe Biden is only concerned about passing the buck. Joe Biden doesn't want this responsibility on his plate. He's blamed Putin. He's blamed Republicans. He's blaming the oil industry. The oil industry, by the way, has had enough of it. And they've come out and pushed back. The CEO of Chevron coming out and saying, hey, uh, you know what? You actually need to stop being a hypocrite and tell us exactly what you want because you told us you're coming after us for producing. And now you're telling us you're coming after us if we don't produce. Which is it? Joe Biden does not want the issue on his plate. He wants to pass the buck. He wants to focus on other things. A couple months ago, I told you guys that Biden's biggest problem, his administration's biggest problem, is that they govern entirely based on the polls. And the polling right now shows that Americans would love a gas tax holiday. And so Biden's pushing for it. But polling also shows that Americans favor some sort of gun control. And that Americans uh, typically lean kind of toward the pro-choice argument. But when you dig down into these issues, when you ask, okay, do you want increased federal background checks on guns? People say no. Do you want restrictions on the type of guns you can buy? People say no. Do you believe in abortion up until the child exits the birth canal? No. We need some limits on it. Well, all of a sudden, all those things that poll really well, very broadly, they don't poll so well when you get to the actual policy. Do you want a gas tax holiday? Absolutely. I want a gas tax holiday and I want another uh, $1,200 check from the government for my kids. Can't get that. It's not going to happen. If you take away the sales tax on gases, if you take away the gas tax, you're going to increase demand and shrink supply. Therefore, the prices aren't going to change all that much. And if they do, they'll dip very quickly before they, uh, very briefly before they quickly jump back up. This is not the policy of an administration that knows what it's doing. This is the policy of an administration that is reacting to polling. So is it any wonder, as I teased before the break, and again, I've got these numbers up on the show notes over at kpl965.com. The first poll out of New Hampshire for 2024 shows Ron DeSantis with 39%, Donald Trump with 37%, Mike Pence with 9%, Nikki Haley with 6%, Cruz with 1%, Christy Noem with 1%, Mike Pompeo with 1%. There are several others that I know are going to jump in the race, including guys like Tom Cotton. I don't think Mike Pence is actually going to run. I'm still not convinced Trump is running. But there is a lot of excitement right now on the Republican side. Republicans are motivated. They are eager to win in the midterms and win in 2024. The Democrats are not motivated. They have not won on a single issue since the American Rescue Plan. Well, I guess the infrastructure plan, but really the American Rescue Plan. But those plans are big spending plans that have helped throw us into an inflation crisis. 
And the Biden administration has done nothing to fix any of the problems. They have deflected all of the blame. And because the Democrats have no plan and are only reacting, this is, this is a major, major problem for the Democrats. If they go with this plan of a gas tax holiday, they're going to make the economic situation worse. And congressional Democrats know that. Congressional Democrats understand that. The Biden administration does not seem to know, and if they do, they do not care. Even the Democrats in Congress aren't out there right now really talking about the oil companies or Putin and his invasion of Ukraine. They're not saying anything about it right now. The far left socialists are. AOC is out there saying it. Rokan is out there saying it. The squad's out there saying it. But the mainstream Democrats who are very progressive but also have actually had experience in politics, they're not saying anything like that. And if they are, it's very, uh, what's the best way to put it? Um, it, it's, it? It's not with a whole lot of enthusiasm. They're not saying it with a whole lot of enthusiasm because they're just going through the motions, they're going through the talking points, they really don't believe it. The Democrats are in a lot of trouble because the leader of their party is governing based on his reaction to polls and not sound policy. 232-1542 if you want to take part in the program. When we come back, I've got a couple more stories I want to get to, including the growing uh, employment crisis that we're seeing. We'll talk about that and more here on the Joe Cunningham Show. News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL. If you want to be part of the show, 232-1542. If you don't get in this segment, don't worry. Mark and I are still in for the Offsides Boys this week, and that includes today. So from 4 to 6, you can call in there as well on whatever topics that we'll be talking about during Offsides. But before we get there, more companies start to rescind job offers. This is from the Wall Street Journal. Businesses in several different industries are rescinding job offers they made just a few months ago in a sign that the tightest labor market in decades may be showing cracks. Companies including Twitter, real estate brokerage, Redfin Corp., cryptocurrency exchange, Coinbase Global have all rescinded offers in recent weeks. Uh, more companies have signaled layoffs, including Netflix, Peloton, Carvana, uh, media, uh, technology giants such as Facebook parent Meta, Uber Technologies are all dialing back on their hiring plans. I also know that News Corp was trying to hire something like 40 editors for the Fox News digital side, and they have uh, closed a lot of those job openings, not because they've made hires, but because they simply the, the money is getting tight right now. The labor market remains strong overall with an unemployment rate of 3.6 near the half century low it reached in early 2020. But these signs of caution and hiring show that executives are finding it tougher to predict the next 12 months in the economy and say hiring man and, and, and are not hiring managers 
or, or I'm sorry, the, the managers and recruiters are not hiring at nearly as rapid a pace. When a company revokes a job offer, it indicates a company's business outlook has changed so quickly, it has to undo hiring plans made sometimes weeks before. Couple this with uh, former New York Fed President Bill Dudley at Bloomberg Opinion. If you're still holding out hope that the Federal Reserve will be able to engineer a soft landing in the U.S. economy, abandon it. A recession is inevitable within the next 12 to 18 months. So the major companies have stopped hiring because they can't ensure that the business prospects are going to be that good uh, a year from now. You have former New York uh, Fed President Bill Dudley saying that a recession is inevitable. Uh, you have a lot of the major financial firms who are saying that we are looking really likely uh, at a recession. All of this is happening not because of Joe Biden, but it is exacerbated by Joe Biden. There is global inflation. It's happening everywhere. But inflation in the United States is far outpacing inflation in other countries around the world. Joe Biden came into office with making no bones about it. He was going to go after the fossil fuel industry. And by God, he did. Biden likes to talk about 9,000 leases or 9,000 permits. It's actually not the case. A lot of those are leases that don't produce natural resources. And the Democrats are out there talking about the oil companies not producing, not refining, not drilling. But what they won't tell you is that the government, the environmentalists who are in charge of the federal government have put so many regulations on the industry that there's no way to actually make any sort of a profit. They will essentially be operating at a loss or at such a tight margin that it's not worth it. The Biden administration came in and pumped trillions into the economy, just printed money off and, and sent it into directly into the economy. And it caused inflation to grow at such a rate that we're now in a crisis. Every policy the Biden administration has put forward to try and stifle the economic crisis has actually made it worse. The Biden administration also downplayed inflation. They called it transitory. Janet Yellen called it transitory. Joe Biden and his administration called it transitory. All of this, not Joe Biden's fault. It was already coming. But he did make it so much worse, and his administration made it so much worse. And as a result, the Democrats are looking at apocalypse in November. 
it's really extraordinary to see the absolute collapse of an administration in just about a year. This administration collapsed so quickly, starting in August. In August, y'all. Mere months after they came into power, Biden's numbers started tanking when he botched a withdrawal from Afghanistan, and he has never recovered. The American public is certain that the Biden administration is lying to them. They are certain that the Biden administration is making things worse. Every issue that gets polled, Biden's approval numbers are way, way low. The only numbers that are not underwater is his handling of COVID-19, the handling of which was established by Donald Trump and Joe Biden just picked up on it. We've got time for at least one caller. Warren's on the line. Warren, how are you? Hey, Joe, you know, you're talking about crisis and chaos. That's how Satan operates. The devil himself, that's how he operates. And Biden just said he needs more money because there's another pandemic coming. So I just wanted to welcome you to the People's Republic of China, North America. Well, thank you very much for the warm welcome. And it is we, we are facing nonstop crisis after nonstop crisis. And Biden is clearly not equipped to handle it. And, and that is, I think, the biggest, uh, that's the most noticeable thing by the American public. The American public is clearly able to see that the Biden administration cannot handle what's going on right now. We have major companies that are just not recruiting. They're not hiring anymore. They are putting a pause on hiring because 12 months from now, they aren't certain they're going to be operating at a profit, at, from a profitable stance. The economy is getting worse and worse. I'm going to go ahead and take a break for a few minutes and come back on the other side with offsides. In the meantime, you can check out The Joe Cunningham Show by following me on Twitter at Joe P. Cunningham, Facebook.com slash Joe Cunningham Show, and check out the podcast version of the show on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get them. You guys stay tuned. I'll be back on offsides here in a few minutes. For the rest of y'all, talk to you tomorrow. <laughs> 